Welcome to The Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis, L.A. and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing. Hello. Could I please speak with Ramses? Speaking. Hello, Ramses. This is Paul Holdengraber calling you from the quarantine tapes. I'm, I'm really so delighted you accepted to take our call. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, let, let me ask you, let me start by asking you, how, how have you been living these past really six months at this point of, of this pandemic? And, and where do I find you? Well, I've been living day by day, but I've been still creating my art and staying safe and, you know, providing friends, relatives and strangers masks that I've been making. So um, that's been keeping me busy. And, and you've, you're, you're in Los Angeles, I take it. I'm in Los Angeles, yes. And uh, do you still live in Lemmert Park? Uh, yes, I do. You do? Still in Lemmert Park area. Uh, I'm not actually in the park area anymore. I'm about two blocks from where I used to be. Right. I'd like to to start by reading you something that John Outerbridge, who I had occasion to meet two decades ago and remember so clearly and so dearly and wonder, you know, how is John? I hope someday to, to reconnect with him. 20 years ago, he said this about your artistic practice. What continues to excite me, John said, is social consciousness and Ramses's awareness that he maintains the history. What, what comes to your mind when you hear that? And what does it mean to you to maintain the history? And perhaps I can ask you, what history? Well, you know, I've been doing this, I guess, since I was 25 years old. And I discovered that when I got out of high school, I didn't know anything about history. When I was taught in high school, I learned nothing. So mm. uh, I decided that I didn't want my children and the other kids to growing up not to know who certain people were. So I started doing, you know, uh, people that people needed to recognize, like Paul Robeson and James Baldwin and, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer. So that kind of got me started, but it graduated from there. And I just, just have always been someone who wanted to maintain the history and the truth um, that needs to be you know, spoken or needs to be seen. And and when when um, when when John Outerbridge says uh, what continues to excite me is social consciousness and his awareness that he maintains a history. What, what, what comes to your mind when, when you hear John saying this 20 years ago about social consciousness? What do you think he meant then and, and what it might mean to you now in these really troubling times? Well, you know, back, I think history is, is a continuous page, which we're, we're, we're constantly turning that page and what was happening 20, 30, 40 years ago, it seems like if you don't know your history, you tend to repeat it again. And you know, some of the things that were happening then are happening now, except I think people are becoming more conscious and aware of, you know, um, how important it is to know, you know, the, you know uh, the things that are around in their history and, and the social conditioning that, you know, if you're um, 
what does it mean to be pulled over constantly by law enforcement when you've done nothing only simply because, you know, your skin is a different color or because social conditionings have uh, trained them. This is how you're supposed to treat these people. And it's like, it's sad that that still goes up, but I think it's coming to a head because people are very conscious of what's, what's going on now. I think they're tired of it. And, uh, and I've been on this planet for some 64 years and, um, uh, you know, uh, I've had my ups and downs and ins and outs with law enforcement, so uh, I know what it's about. But I think back then and now, there are a lot of the same conditions, same conditionings that, that, that existed then that are existing still today. But I think people are becoming more conscious of what's happening with the, the, uh, the marching, the social outrage, the artwork that people are doing. Uh, um, and it's just... You know, my sons are in it now. They're they're like in their twenties and thirties, and they're they're out there. So it's like wow. Full circle. Yeah. For a long time, you had a storefront studio space with the Brockman Gallery next to the world stage. And I'd love you, Ramses, to, to give us a sense of what that was like as a community. A different way of putting it, perhaps, is what was a day like at the Brockman Gallery, a day in Lemmet Park for you? Wow. Um uh being in be- being in between the world stage and Brockman Gallery, my first experience was was you know um, venturing into the Brockman Gallery and seeing what art was all about. I just happened to stumble on that in the seventies, and of course got uh, fascinated with art and what people were doing. And that was the beginning of my uh, start in art. And then being next to the world stage, having Billy Higgins as a tutor and as a storyteller, along with all the musicians that he brought in there, was, was so exciting. They'd be in there till 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, yeah. jamming. Wow. And I I'm en- right next door. I, en- I envy you. Yeah, it was it was something. I'm telling you, Elvin Jones. Uh, Gosh. Um, uh, Max Roach. I mean, these cats came through there and it's like, whoa, you know, they these cats played with Train and Parker and knew Billy Holiday personally. So it's like, you know, you being in the presence of that and then Billy Higgins telling stories about these guys and, you know, the stories he used to talk about, talk about Lester Young when he met Lester Young for the first time. Wow. I, I mean, I, I, I met Billy Higgins only one time through William Claxton, you know, the great jazz photographer and that Mm -hmm. was that was just so utterly wonderful it must have been you you must have felt like you were you were living history as it were you know what because i i was just getting into jazz and i knew who these cats were it was like to me it was like standing at the feet of jesus while they were playing (laughs) i mean it was it was it was a whole totally different world and you know to watch Elvin Jones up there playing and talking and then take his shirt off and all you see is just sweat running off of him and the audience is going crazy, you know, and people would be driving by wondering what's happening in there, you know. Uh, and then these, these cats would hang around, you know, for hours later, just standing out front talking and shooting, shooting, shooting the bull with everybody. So, but I learned a lot from being on that, being in Lemur Park and on Degnan because it was a, uh, Definitely a um, life-opening experience for somebody who was just breaking into the art world. How did how did jazz do you think influence your art practice? And and a, a different question also is: Is jazz something you put on when you 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 um, you do your work? You know, I it, it's always in me. I put it on, and if I'm doing somebody particular, especially somebody new that I haven't experienced, I'll play their music and listen to them for a while. But, you know, I wasn't into jazz until I came over there to Lemurray Park. I was into my, you know, rock and roll and 
and soul music. And uh, it is too, it is tr- truly true that it is hard to be around something and not be influenced by it. Because I was around it so much, I got caught up in it and loved it. Started going to jazz festivals, going to jazz clubs, you know, seeking these guys out, these, these cats that were um, legends in my mind and legends in everybody else's mind. It's just it was it was something that I hoped one day to write down and to uh, share the experiences that I got listening to these guys. Will you write them down? I'll probably end up doing something eventually in a, with my art in some sort of book talking about the cats when I met them and what experience I had with them because you know the stories I still have the stories in my head because you know it's like it's like listening to it's like being in elementary school and you you you're sitting on the floor and your teacher is reading a story to you and all of a sudden you see every picture you can taste everything they're talking about and that's what it was like you know being around the art there being around the jazz musicians that you can't help but remember all that stuff who's keeping the flame alive now well the world stage is still going on and it's i think the white triple he's wonderful is run, he's wonderful is running that just spoke with him he's, he's absolutely wonderful and hopefully we'll speak also to kamau daoud Wonderful, yes. wonderful people filled, filled with stories. Oh, God, yes. Without a doubt. Especially uh, Kamal. Ooh. I mean, Kamal is like, he is a true storyteller. And he has stories. He has, he has things in him that, you know, he, he has personal information about these guys. I mean, especially because, when, you know, him and Billy Higgins opened the world stage. You know, it was a whole nother world. You've got to do it. You have to write these stories down. I, I'm wondering just very quickly. I mean, were you, um, were you at all um, connected to to Stanley Crouch? No, I've only met him once, and I was sorry to hear he passed this morning. Or yesterday. Yeah, yeah, just now. Yeah. And, and when I when I read his obituary, and I knew I was going to speak to you, I, I thought, you know, I have to ask Ramses if he knew if he knew Stanley Crouch because I knew he knew that scene. I mean, he was a very cantankerous man. I remember, I can't remember who said uh, called him Stanley Ouch, but he was. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I mean it respectfully. But, no, 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 I. I, I I've heard that, but you know, I uh, I met him at a festival, and the time that I met him, I recognized his face, but I didn't really know who he was. And and he was looking at the work that I was doing, and uh, said something about that. You know, I'm keeping I'm keeping the, the the music alive with the images because some of these images that I that he was looking at is you know people didn't know who he, who who Fast Navarro is. You got Fast Navarro with it? You know, I said, yeah, well, you know, I've got a lot of cats that need to be remembered, you know. And they said, you keeping the music alive. And that was my experience with Stanley and uh, my only conversation. And I didn't realize who I was talking to until probably years later. I was that the guy that came into the booth? <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, one key figure for you, and we've had occasion on the quarantine tapes to speak about him, quite often which is 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 quite wonderful now to ask you about your own exp- experience with Paul Robeson and h- how deeply it would seem important he he was to you you've said about your first drawing of Paul Robeson that's what actually started me finding people who had done great things in history black history but weren't mentioned in the history books i was given in school I wanted to make it 
possible for students to have images and a story to go along with them. Bring me back to that moment. And in a way, I see in that moment your practice, your practice which nearly is a practice of, of saving in some way. Well, I think it was in 1977, January, Paul Wilson died. And I just remember the story that was on the news that Paul Wilson had died and I, and all they had was him singing that song, Old Man River. And I said, God, who is this Paul Wilson guy? And I looked him up and I realized that this man is somebody that I should have known about my entire life, but it was kept out of the history books. So he was, I said, I wanted a picture of him and I found an encyclopedia that had a small picture of him as the Emperor Jones in it. And I took that picture and I started sketching it out. And that was the first drawing that I ever done. Matter of fact, I was in LA, I was at college in LACC and they used the picture on the front of the newspaper, but it wasn't completed. It was, the drawing wasn't finished. It was just a half drawing of Brooks's face. But after that, that was the spark that started everything was, uh, Paul Rosen. I wanted to uh, make sure that people knew other people like Rosen. That not just not just in Black history, but in history itself. Because even with Dalton Trumbull, I had I had done Dal- Dalton Trumbull, and a lot of people don't know who Dalton Trumbull was and what he stood for. And you know, uh, uh, so I wanted to be a part of history and, and putting it down that making sure that people knew, or at least I put images out there with little images, little bios on the back of the cars that people could read about who this person was. Or, or still is if they're still alive. Well, so, but he was he was the spark of it, Paul well, Rosen. Well, and and again, I I I really didn't know the whole extent of, of, of Paul Robeson's history until very recently and so much more than, than you know, the, the operatic singer we know. I mean, mm-hmm. such an interesting, such an interesting and diverse life. life. Um, when, when you say you put it in the back of cards, what do you mean? I make, I make five by seven greeting cards. Yes. And so the image is on the front and then their bios are on the back of it. And so you can read about, you know, what their life was, was about, what they said. I try and find quotes and uh, sometimes there's quotes that are very famous quotes and people don't know where it came from. And then I researched and find out these quotes came from people who said something. And I remember Belafonte saying something about Robeson, about they all followed him down this road and Robeson told him that I got to go down this road. I'm going to go all the way. You guys can go as far as you can go. And then you, I know you'll have to stop, but I'm going all the way. And I'm not going to fault you for stopping because some of you can't go all the way. You know, you have you have to stop, but at least you've gotten on the road and um, traveled it. And he was somebody who gave his entire life to, you know, social justice and to help the struggle against not just black people, but all people. You know, if you study ropes, you know that he was, he was, he was a renaissance man and he went all over the world to help people who were suffering from oppression and pr- from the, their government and, and just basically helping people, you know, with his song and his, his, his belief. And uh, uh, so as many times as I can, I'll lift this man up because, you know, I had him on my calendar when he turned 100 as man of the century. And um, he was somebody that you needed to know. And, you know, it, it, I mean, Belafonte gained such an extraordinary figure who also went all the way and continues to go all the mm-hmm. way. And I'm, I'm always reminded of this line of Belafonte who said that, you know, you can cage the singer, but you can't cage the song. That's right. That's right. So true. Ooh. 
gives gives one chills, doesn't it? Mm. And in a way, the cards you do, um, in a sense, they they go out in the world and. Do do they do they fulfill the function you see yourself having as a as a what one might call a community artist? You know it does because one thing I get so much feedback on is that when people tell me they got this card in the mail and they tell me I'm going to frame this card, I'm going to frame it with the bio out because it's not a card that you just get and toss to the side. It's one of those even even teachers to this day coming. Um, uh, get these cards at the store, particular store that I have, and they use them in the classroom. They say every year they pull these cards out and the kids read about the person and they play their music or they'll play a movie on, on the person or they'll write a, have them write something about, pick, pick somebody who was on the wall and write a small story about what you found out about that person. And it all started with the cards. Well, I, I see it as a reenactment of your own discovery of Paul Robeson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it triggers even, it triggers young people to to do what you what you did, which is look him up, find out more, delve deeper. And if you're in the environment, that's the key thing is that if you're surrounded by something, you can't help but pick it up. Right. Even if even if you don't want to be a part of it, because when they, when I was teaching uh, art, some of the kids they want to be involved in it. And that's okay. Well, you know, you don't have to be involved with it, but but you can't leave the classroom. And so they would be sitting around there, and all of a sudden they start standing up and coming over to it and seeing and helping doing something, and all of a sudden. They're, they're creating the art. They're, they don't realize that they actually have become a part of it. And some of those students, some of the ones that were fighting me the hardest became the best artists because they, they, they found another way to express what they were feeling through the art. And, and you, never, you never needed to tell them, you know, do art. Just no. Which is, just, be, just be around it. Yeah, if just, you're around it, you, you can't help it. And and one of the other things, Ramses, that really struck me is your your relationship to money. <laughs> money. <laughs> That's not so good. <laughs> no, but you know, you it, it seems it seems that I mean it it brought back a, a, a wonderful line of Arthur Miller who said, "Don't be seduced into thinking that that which does not make a profit is without value." <laughs> exactly. God, I wish I would have said that because I my whole thing is that I'm not I'm not a poor artist and I'm not a rich artist. I'm just a artist that enjoys what I do and it's never been a job. And my whole thing is that I'll give away more things that I've done than I'll, I'll sell because it's important that if I see somebody comes up to where I'm selling something or displaying a booth and. They look at what they look at something and they really like it and they don't have the funds to get it. I said, well, let's take it. And when, you know, when you, when you get get something, you know, pass it on to somebody else because uh, it'll all come back. And I've been doing that for years, and it's not like I'm. Just, it's like I just got through printing my latest calendars, and I've given away so far about eighty of them. I only printed a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, okay, well, that's my biggest problem is I, I see somebody who, who sees something. Hey, I got a, you want one of the calendars? I got one in the car. <laughs> I just pass them out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it comes full circle because it's like it, it will eventually come back. It, 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 yeah, it comes back. It does come back. Of course, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this project you did uh, for the Onassis Foundation for the Enter Project. Uh, you submitted an artist's statement where you said, 
I do what I do as an artist to bring beauty to the world. These masks, you made masks, are mm -hmm. my contribution to and acknowledgement of my place as a useful and productive member of our human society. Mm -hmm. yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? I, I found the statement so short and so precise. Well, you know, the math is something that um, I wanted to, to do and give away and also make it an artistic piece of art. So you're not just getting something that's going to help to protect you, but you're getting a piece of artwork also. So you might not think of it as artwork, but it's actually you know, hand-sewn or machine-sewn. It's cut, it's designed that you can wear it on both sides. And it's a safety factor, something that's going to help protect your life. At least we hope it is. Yeah. And and I didn't want to sell them because I didn't want to make a profit off of the suffering of what's happening in the world. And it was so simple to sit here and make a make a thousand masks, you know, in a couple of weekends and uh, uh, just pass them out. You know, it was, um, I still do this day, get people ask me, you know, can I get, can I come by and get three masks for me? Can I get four masks? I got some friends that need some masks. And they would rather wear, even though sometimes it's, it's a little heavy, they would rather wear one of these masks than a paper mask because they feel more safe with something that's got three layers on it. How many did you make? Oh, I've got, I've made probably about six or seven thousand of them so far and passed them out. You know, I usually make, on the weekends, I usually make about maybe 150 of them. So you're, just, con you're continuing to make them? Oh, yeah. The, mm -hmm. the, the little video you, you produced is so beautiful uh, for the foundation. And what was particularly beautiful, quite apart from seeing how you layer um, the, the, the masks and the, the textile and how... The, these these works are, are reversible. They have two sides, two very different sides. Is seeing you then um, taking these masks out on the street and giving them to people? Did you give them to people randomly? Uh, I gave them some randomly, and then I gave them to some people who were passing out food, and they were passing them out because um, people were not suspicious of what I was doing, but wondering what, what I was doing. So what I started doing was instead of just handing them out, I started putting them in the cards, putting them in the bags of the cards. So you'd get a card of um, someone like Robeson or, you know, uh, Malcolm X with the mask. So you are reading something and getting something, uh, a mask at the same time. So that way it made it a little bit more not so suspicious that somebody's trying to give them something that doesn't have. Because people tend to, I found out that they tend not to want to take it from you if it was just loose. But if you put it in a bag, it's something totally different. <laughs> right. It becomes I, it becomes like a gift you can really give. Yeah. So I figured that, you know what, I got all these cards, put them in the bag with the cards, and it, it became so much easier. So that's now, now what, that's what I do is I put, put them in the bag with the cards, and so you can see the mask on one side and the car on the other side. So the, there is, in a way, uh, not only a protective element to it, not only a beautiful element, as you say, you want to, to add beauty to the world, but there's, one could say, an educational purpose. Yeah, yeah, you definitely could, because you're definitely going to get, if you stop to read the image, you're going to get you're going to get you're going to get educated if you don't know. It's like the Kobe Bryant card. I put so much on his card, you know, might be things that you don't know because I included all seven of the other people who were on the on the uh, mm -hmm. helicopter with him. So and uh, so it wasn't just about Kobe, but it was about him, his family, the people who were with him and then what he had accomplished in his short lifetime. And um 
So those messages are on the cards when I'm passing them out to them. So people are, we- people are wearing your art. Have you come across, while walking on the street or bicycling or however you might get around, seeing people wear the masks and just being perhaps taken aback or surprised or delighted? Yeah, I have, I have done that. Cause, because I, I can tell that my mask, simply because of the um, uh, elastic I have on the outside of it, they're real colorful. <laughs> They are very use, colorful. I don't use a black and white material. <laughs> I mean, a string on it. So, um, and then I, I remember the mask. I remember because I make them, and you know, when I run out of materials, and I go out and buy more material, and then I've had some material donated to me. Um, but I always try and find something that's unusual to um, to make, so people would feel, you know, they feel good about wearing something, not just a, you know, a, a dark mask or a white mask. Well, I can't wait to encourage all the listeners to to go and see the little video on Onassis Enter and see how you 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 do those masks. I I heard you know the part of the the program with, with the, the the foundation was to give you six days to come up with an idea and to execute it. And I heard that when you were were told that you had six days to do it. You were not taken aback. You said, you know, in six days I could build a house. <laughs> Believe it or not, I could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that was uh, when they, they said six. That's why I, I shot it with the newspaper. Right. So they could see the, the dates on it. So it's okay. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. He did it in six. He did it in four days. He was just like, okay, we yeah. finished. You did it very quickly. It, it didn't. It didn't at all. This deadline didn't at all make you anxious. No, no. Plus, I had I had the time to do it. <laughs> and the idea. And the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ramses, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, really a pleasure. And I hope that when when we go back to the possibility of seeing each other in person, I get to see you. Maybe maybe come and hear some music at the world stage and see your work it's really been a pleasure speaking with well it's you. been a pleasure paul it's been so easy you made you made this conversation so easy well it's 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 <laughs> been wonderful it's really been wonderful i i hope we can listen to some music together someday i really would love sounds, that sounds like a winner all right all the best you take care of yourself and stay safe and make more masks <laughs> thank you bye bye To support this show and Dublab's progressive programming, go to dublab.com slash support.